So, from the Gospel of Matthew in the Christian scriptures, when they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go on ahead, and you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anybody asks, What in the world are you doing? Say, The Lord needs them. No problem, right? I mean, it's like, go down and get me a Porsche. And <laughs> but this is not a Porsche, right? This is a donkey and a colt. The Lord needs them, and, and he will send them immediately. Uh, this was to fulfill what the prophet had said. Tell the, the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went, and as Jesus directed them, They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and they sat on them. He sat on them. It's like a circus act. Um, But it's not. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. So the cloaks on the road is all about honoring. We're we're paying homage. And others cut branches from from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of them, and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the city was all in turmoil and asking, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So that's from Matthew. I just wanted to remind you in case it had been a while since you heard the story. Today we enter into Palm Sunday, a very strange, very paradoxical bit of biblical storytelling. But what isn't strange and paradoxical about the life of the Spirit? When you think you've got it figured out, poof, an unexpected twist comes along. So we are in the realm of the Spirit here, so buckle your seatbelts. The strange part of this day is that we know Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly with fanfare and the sound of hosannas, save us, save us, in the air. He is there with his disciples and thousands and thousands of other Jews for the Passover feast. But there are a couple of odd things about this triumph. We know this. First, we know the week ends poorly for Jesus. He will have a significant dinner, Passover Seder, his last meal, basically, with his friends and his disciples. At this meal, he says to them, we know I'm in trouble, we know we're under siege, we know that I'm likely to die, so please, when you have a meal like this, remember me. Once he had said to them, I call you my students, my disciples, now I call you friends. It turns out during the course of the events that we know as Holy Week, one friend will let the authorities know where Jesus is and how to get him, Judas. Another friend, the guy who turns out to be the first pope, basically, Peter, will deny that he has anything to do with him. So it's a triumphant entry with a turbulent end. Further, we know that Jesus is executed 
at the end of the stories. The authority finds him and he cries out to God, why have you forsaken me? Triumphant entry, turbulent end. Even so, we know the turbulent end is not the end of the story either. Let's think about this metaphysically for a moment. We have all tasted triumph. We have all had, in some ways, sometimes big, sometimes small, a taste of success. We set our minds to something, we set an intention, and boom, we create something out of nothing. We find a way forward and build something that never existed before. We feel triumphant, and our friends celebrate with us, and we are at one with all reality. Even in the midst of that triumph, there are setbacks. There is grief. There is loss. There are regrets. Joy and sorrow are woven together in this life. What's more, as the triumph is met with sadness and betrayal, we know the sadness and betrayal are not the end of the story. Jesus is dead. The disciples' hope for a revolution that would turn away Rome from Jerusalem is dashed. All seems lost. Disorientation is all around. And instead of that betrayal and sadness being the last word, a remarkable thing happens. They turn to one another and they say, this isn't the end of the story. A fresh spirit is upon us. Something new is about to emerge And they begin to speak of resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. The continuing story of his life. Which was so full of love and hope and grace. No power could really end it. They discovered creative transformation. They discovered the resilience at the heart of their spirit. Think of your own life. How often have you bounced back? How often have you known resilience? How often have you been a story of amazing creative transformation? That's what we're talking about here. You are light. Jesus comes into Jerusalem full of light, full of authentic human existence. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. I am light, and I'm going to shine the light no matter what your military authorities say. You ever see Romero? You ever see the movie Romero? Oscar Romero, who is an archbishop in El Salvador, he gets kicked out of his his parish, his church. Uh, The military is there, and they're going to kick him out. And he gets down the road, and he realizes he forgot the, the... the tools for Eucharist, you know, the cup and the, and the platter. And he goes back, calm as day, and he walks in. The military with their, their military arms are right there, and he just walks back into the church, grabs his stuff and leaves. There's nothing you can do that will touch my sense of peace because your military might is not where my peace comes from, Romero says. I'm going to shine the light no matter what, Jesus says. And he says to us, go and do likewise. So there are other things about this triumphant entry. Now, a good Palm Sunday sermon has to involve the donkey, right? 
There was not any other uh, animal that Jesus was going to ride. You probably heard that the donkey was a symbol of humility and of peace, and that showing this and having this as the animal that Jesus comes in shows that he's going to be a different kind of Messiah than maybe some of the people were expecting. But if you listen carefully to the story I read, you notice there's a donkey and a colt. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. It sounds like a circus act. But did he really ride on both of them? Probably not. Doesn't seem possible. But he's the, the, the Matthew, the writer who's writing all this down, Matthew or whoever's writing on Matthew's behalf, remembers the prophecy a bit literally more than the other writers. In Matthew, it's the only one where there's two animals. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Sing aloud, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king will come to you. He is righteous and victorious. He is humble and riding on an ass, on a colt, the offspring of a donkey. But I want to suggest this morning that there's more to it than that. Matthew wants two animals, a donkey with her little colt beside her, and Jesus rides them in the sense of having them both as part of his highly visible symbolism. Jesus does not ride a stallion or a mare, a mule or a male donkey, not even a female donkey. He rides the most unmilitary mount imaginable, a female nursing donkey with her little colt trotting along beside her. Isn't that great? Don't you love it? This little vulnerable mommy and her little baby. Why does it matter if he was on a colt or a donkey or whatever? Here's why. How you approach Jerusalem matters. And Jesus says, do it in such a way that is countercultural, that is vulnerable, that is opposite of what folks expect. Do it with humility and vulnerability. Dominant culture says, be rich, be powerful, be dominant. Jesus says, be compassionate, be considerate, be thoughtful, be humble, be connected. The dominant culture says, violence makes right, might makes right. Jesus says, peace, peace, peace. All these folks saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're hoping Jesus is going to come and save them by bringing on a revolution that overthrows the imperial, dominating, oppressive Roman authorities who have occupied Jerusalem. They are praying that occupied Jerusalem will be liberated. But Jesus puts forth a different vision, a God vision, a vision of nonviolence. All he ushers in in this week is a mystical reminder that the kingdom of God is at hand and the spirit of peace is upon us. They want Arnold Schwarzenegger and Rambo and Die Hard, and he gives them Gandhi and Martin Luther King. I mean, hear this. When Jesus gets arrested on Thursday night, there's a remarkable story. Peter, here's Peter again. Peter, as Jesus is getting arrested, he whips out his sword and he slices off the ear of one of the servants of a high priest. Rambo to the rescue. Jesus won't have any part of it. 
Jesus is here to do some soul teaching, some deep work on what the vision of God is in the midst of trouble and disorientation. Jesus won't have it. What does Jesus do? He says, I imagine, for God's sake, Peter, put down the sword. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. We're living by love. We're living by light. We're living in the vision according to our deepest God self. And what does he do? Jesus, what does he do? He performs a miracle and reattaches the ear. And drops the sword and walks off, probably, right? This is how it's done. It's done with a female nursing donkey, not on a mighty military horse. Here's how it's done. It's done without a sword, but rather with light and love. Here's how it's done. Jesus didn't want there to be any confusion whatsoever about the message he was bringing when he arrived in Jerusalem. This was his way of showing that he was not like the Roman triumphant kings. This was a message of peace, and he would bring about a nonviolent revolution of peace. Marcus Borg says this about this entry into Jerusalem. On Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem from the east in a procession riding on a donkey cheered by his followers. At the same time, a Roman imperial procession of troops and cavalry entered the city from the west, headed by Pilate. Their purpose was to reinforce the Roman garrison stationed near the temple for the season of Passover when thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims filled the city. The contrast between Jesus' entry on that mom and her little cult and the imperial entry sounds the central conflict that unfolds during the rest of the week. Jesus' mode of entry was symbolic, signifying that the kingdom of which he spoke was a kingdom of peace. This donkey is the final banishment of the weapons of war from the land and a time in which to speak peace to the nations. The kingdom of Rome was based on the violence and the threat of violence, and Jesus was all peace. So, Charles Fillmore says that Jerusalem represents the place of peace, the place within us of the vision of peace, the possession of peace in our own spirits. So how you march into that place matters. If you get there full of swords and might and pomp and circumstance, your triumph will be empty. If you get there in vulnerability, humility, compassion... Your triumph will be of the light. God bless you, friends.